I'm going to make this statement. God is looking for a people who will not be led by their emotions, but will be led by the voice of their king. That's why I pray every day that God would give us ears to hear what the spirit is saying to the church. And by the way, if it moves your emotion, but does not change your devotion, it ain't God. And I think that's partly the problem that we're having in the American church culture. And I'm not here to disparage churches because everybody has a different way that they do things. But I, I've been doing church for a while now, three decades. And so, you know, you get to understand kind of what the culture of the church really is. And, and there's a lot of sensuality, but not a lot of spirituality. And when I say sensuality, I don't talk about sexual. I'm talking about the senses that we need to, we, we become a culture where we, we need to hear something that tickles our ears. We need to see something that makes us glad or happy. We need to feel it. We got to feel that music. Otherwise, we can't really worship God. How many know what I'm talking about? Uh, five of you. Praise God for the rest of y'all. You're catching up on us. Hallelujah. And by the way, I'm expecting some of y'all get a little bit louder than you are right now. I, I, thought, I thought this was a Pentecostal church. Hey! That means you get to shout and have a little liberty in the place. If you want to any moment get up and run around the building, praise God. That's good. That's, if you can do that after Thanksgiving meals, praise the Lord. Good for you. But we like that. We like a little bit of celebration in our atmosphere. But, um, yeah, we have more sensuality, I think, in the church than we have spirituality. we got to give the people something they can feel because if they don't feel it, they're not going to probably come back next week. And so we become churches that are more, we become more seeker sensitive. We're, we're sensitive to the person that's seeking rather than do what God's asked us to do. Mario Murillo, I was listening to him a few weeks ago. I thought, I've never heard that before in my life. I like that. He said, the church has become a church of skinny jeans, big screens, and fog machines. Praise God. I thought, well, we got the big screen, the fog machine, but you ain't going to never see your pastor in those skinny jeans. So, <laughs> so we're still serving God. Hallelujah. <laughs> and I get what he's saying. It's none of those things in and of themselves are wrong. It's that we become more of a show than we become a house of God where, where God gets reverenced and that there's still the fear of the Lord and we respect him and, and we're, we're here to learn about his ways and to connect on a spiritual level, not on a sense level. Somebody say amen to that. So church, we need things to move in a new direction. Everybody say shift. Father, today in the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord God, for your word, especially the worship that's gone forth before you, Lord. What a wonderful time of expressing ourselves before your throne, Lord God. And we know, we have a promise that if we do this, Lord God, that you would in fact inhabit the praises of your people. That means you're here right now. The words that uh, my wife spoke, Father God, very strong and getting us to come out of our shell and worship you is so vital and so important. We pray, Lord God, that you've been honored thus far in this service. I thank you for the prophetic flow now to begin to happen, Lord God, and that it be stirred up in this atmosphere, Lord God, so we can have a word out of heaven, Lord God, not one out of someone's head. I pray in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Let the anointing now flow that removes the burden and destroys the yoke of bondage, Lord God, that people are literally set free, whether in this building or they're watching online, Lord God, and wherever they happen to be. I thank you, Lord God. There's no time and space with you. You will minister. That is your greatest desire, Lord God. Let it be, I pray, in the mighty name of Jesus. Everybody said a big amen and amen. I, um, 
I had a series of three dreams, and all three dreams had to do with a moving truck. And I found that very interesting. You know, when there's certain things that you find repetitive, you know God's saying something. And um, the third dream that I had was probably the most significant, as it wasn't really a dream that I feel this for me, as it is for the nation. And, um, and in the dream, um, I actually explained some of this in, in, in some detail online, but I'm going to talk about it just for a moment and to go a little bit further today. And that is, in the dream, um, my family and I were going to a festival in this old town. If I could be honest about it and probably put it in some sort of time frame, the town reminded me of something you find in the middle 1700s. So almost like uh, the time of, time, uh, of, uh, of, uh, of uh, the Declaration, the signing of the Declaration of Independence, 1776, around that time frame. And... Um, and uh, it, was, it was beautiful, but it was very old. And so we had rented this Airbnb, and this Airbnb happened to be this old barn because they didn't have a lot of places in this town, so they converted this old barn, it was old-looking too, into an Airbnb. It was kind of spacious on the inside. One of the things that I noted when I was inside that everything had a lock on it. Everything had one of those, um, you know, just one of those locks you know, that you put on a locker with a key and the whole deal. And everything, from the cabinets to the closets to the bathroom to everything had a lock on it and um anyways in my dream uh, my family said well we're going to go down to this festival now I said okay good and I started to walk with them and on the way I, I realized I had I had forgotten something so I went back into this Airbnb this barn if you will and when I went back in there um, I'm looking around for something I can't remember what it was I'm looking around for something and um all of a sudden this man comes with about five other men into the barn and I said, excuse me, can I help you? You know, when people intrude, you want to know what's, what the problem is. And so he said, oh, I'm the, I'm the sheriff here. I'm the local sheriff here. My name is such and such. And he said, um, he said I just want to see how your stay is. Are you, are you finding that, find that you're enjoying yourself? Are you finding everything that you need and so on? And he just felt like he wanted to make me comfortable in my stay. But I felt like there was something else going on, but I couldn't put my finger on it. Just the way he looked at me and just felt like there was an ulterior motive here. And so I said, yep, everything's uh, fine, sir. Thank you so much for, for asking. He said, yeah, no problem. As a matter of fact, he said, I know where your family is. He said, I can take you to them personally. I'll just take you right to them. I said, oh, okay, well, and I, I could, again, and all of a sudden the other five men begin to swoop into the, into the barn, into this Airbnb. I thought it'd probably be best just to go ahead and, 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 and go and leave. Everything has locks on it. So um, he said, uh, yeah, I'll take you right to them. So we started going down this alley. And he says, let's run. I thought, I don't know if I can run. Hallelujah. But I'll try. And as we're running down this alley, um, uh, he's asking me, how, you know, asking me about myself. And, and I could tell he's trying to divert my attention. All of a sudden, I hear down the alley, we'd gotten about three blocks, and I heard, I heard somebody whistle. And, a, and we turned, and a man, one of his men waved at him like this. And then the sheriff smiled at me, kind of a, you know, a devilish kind of a smirk. And he says, well, he said, have a good day. And as I, he's saying that, I see a moving truck. It's a truck that's coming. Now, I'm looking down the, uh, the, this alley. The barn's on this side of the alley, way down three blocks. And now the moving truck's coming. It's coming this way, right? So I can see the side of it before it turns into the alley. And it was one of those old uh, 70s-style uh, moving trucks that said uh, Mayflower on the side. How many remember the moving uh, truck company called Mayflower? I, I don't know if it still exists or not, but it probably does. And so it was green with the yellow writing on it, and it said Mayflower on it. And it began to turn into the alley, and by the time it got to me, the guy said, well, have a good day again, gets in the truck, and I knew they had robbed us, had taken all of our stuff. And, and they, were, they, were, they, they took me, 
for, for everything. And I thought, oh my God, we just got robbed. And I woke up out of the dream again. That was the third dream I had. Two nights ago, I had two dreams in the same night of moving trucks. That's the story for another time. That was more, I think, personal for us. And when I woke up, I knew it was something significant. Now, over the last week or so, I've been able to begin to pray about that dream and what it meant. What I did not know to when I woke up, you know how you look on your phone, and on the phone, on one of the social media platforms, it had said that today was the 400th anniversary of the Mayflower Compact. How many has heard of that before in your history? That that day, the very day I dreamed about the Mayflower was the very day of the celebration of 400 years, 1620 to the day of the day I had this dream. So I knew it was even of more significance. I knew God was saying something about moving and it had something to do with where we were going and I felt like that we were being robbed, almost like, almost like God was saying back then, by the way, the Mayflower Compact, let me just kind of give you a little history about this real quick. Um, it goes further back than that. And somewhere in the early 1600s, there was a group of people called the Pilgrims that got together, and they wanted to worship God in Europe in freedom, not to be ran by the state. They wanted to separate, they wish they could separate state from their actual religion, their Christian religion. And they wanted to worship God according to the word of God. They were very much about doing things the way the Bible says, not the way that the church, the Catholic church in those days said, which was also ruled by the state in those days. So there was a lot of limitations how to worship God. They wanted to have an expression of freedom. So they thought, you know what, we've heard so much about the new world called the Americas. Let us go there. We'll establish ourselves a government and we'll establish our own government for our people and we'll be able to worship God the way we want to worship. So in 1620, they commissioned a boat to go to the Americas, which was a dangerous trip, by the way. A hundred and, and uh, I believe a hundred and uh, two or one of them, something like that, went on this, were, were planning to go. Not a lot of people, but that's what they could do. Well, there was another boat being commissioned to go out by these adventurers and these traders, and they were going to go also and explore the new world and be able to make money as a result of that and probably go back and forth uh, in their journey. Well, their boat was not ready, so they made um, this agreement that they would sail together on the Mayflower. So you have the mix of the pilgrims and these, these adventurer-type people and these traders all going together. The first part of the journey was pretty, pretty mild. But in the last half of the journey, they had an incredible storm that came about. And it just, it, it just it killed several people. It was a terrible uh, experience for them. And they were just about to make it to shore. And when they did, the men, it wasn't a mutiny, but the men of the adventurers and the traders said, look, when we get there, we're not going to be with you. We're going to separate and go our own ways. Well, the leadership of the pilgrims said, look, we believe God is in this. We believe God wants you to be a part of what we're doing. And they laid out the case for God. And they said, look, you may not understand this, but we're going for the freedom of expression for our God and to worship. And they begin to lay out the scriptures of what they wanted to see, what they wanted to take place in the new America. This was a very important thing because they had not heard that before. And they begin to say, you know what, maybe something here is for us and our families as well. So let's go ahead and make an agreement. And the first American document for self-government was signed on that ship called the Mayflower Com Compact that they would work together, all different pe people, creeds, and backgrounds would come together in the new land or the new world. So when they get there, what happened was because of the great tempests and storms, they ended up 300 miles north of their destination. 
They were supposed to be at Jamestown. The problem with Jamestown was that, in fact, Jamestown was still ruled by the king, King James, in those, in those days. And as a result of that, uh, that, 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 that issue, they were, there was still slavery going on. Matter of fact, in 1619, those of you of color probably know this more than anyone else, that in 1619, this year, 2019, last year marked the 400th year of the time of slavery in America. 1619, uh, the first 20 black men showed up in a Dutch ship uh, in Jamestown and were sold into slavery. Black kings sold them. They came and were sold to white people. And they, became, they were the first commissioned ship, which would be one of many, many, many more, would bring thousands of Africans over and become enslaved. So you have God doing something. You've got the enemy. Let me just tell you something about how God, where God's about ready to do something, the devil always comes and tries to do something different. So we have all this going on. So now watch this. There was slavery going on. There was a definite limitation on how you, really, you, you had freedom. And now there's a great storm that's going out, out in, the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the sea. What's happening is pushing them away from where they thought they were supposed to be. Now they're 300 miles north in Cape Cod. And they got to completely depend upon God because they've got nobody to help them out. So they look back in time and say, that was divine providence. We could have been controlled if we would have ended up there. But the problem was they ended up in Cape Cod and they did not know how to survive on the land. It was a bitter winter and over 50% of them, around 50% died in that season, in the first month of that season. Terrible, terrible, terrible thing. Until a man showed up who was a Native American by the name of Squanto. Squanto showed up and showed them how to survive the land. But here's what's interesting. Squanto, years and years before, had been sold in slavery. Got him. Took him from the Americas and took him all the way to Spain and sold him to the Spaniards. So you had slave, slavery going on with the, with the American Indians as well, going on to different nations. And then they got sold there and then got sold again to a British family. And there he became a, a border of horses and took care of horses. They trained him how to do that. They also trained him and taught him English. And so in five years that he was there, he spoke English fluently. Now watch how God works. He's sold into slavery by the Spaniards, and a group of Spanish monks come by, see him, and decide they're going to buy his freedom. So the family sells him to the monks. The monks set him free. All he could think about was getting back to America to be with his family and his tribe. But when he finally gets back to America to be with his family tribe, he finds that every single one of them were either gone or they had been killed. And in those days, you couldn't mingle with other tribes, so Squanto had to live by himself in the woods. This is what he was doing until he saw the pilgrims showed up, and he thought, What's, I, I, at least I can go and have somebody I can talk to. So he goes, and they're praying and asking God for a miracle because people are dying left and right. Talking about a shift, y'all. Talking about transition. Now, transition. You know, we, we have some things happen in our lives. We think, oh, my God, they're talking bad about us. We have a bad day. You know, these people were given their lives for the cause of Christ just to have freedom. This is amazing how, how many years have gone by and how soft people have become. A little bit of persecution, and we all want to fold like a chair and say, oh, my God, I can't stand it. Oh, God, I'm being persecuted. And here people are actually dying for their faith. And so they, they, they're praying for a breakthrough. Squanto shows up and speaks perfect English. They consider us a sign. And Squanto shows them how to live on the land, how to catch beavers, how to, uh, how to, what, what to, uh, to harvest, or what to plant and what to harvest. And they begin to survive. And what happened here? What happened was the pilgrims, 
They needed a breakthrough. They needed a miracle for survival. And Squanto needed a family and a tribe. And God answered both their, their prayers. So our Thanksgiving weekend is more, come on, than us just getting together and having a big meal. We're thankful. Why? Because God answers prayer. And when it's time to make a shift in your life, God will make all the necessary arrangements for you. He'll move heaven and earth. Send somebody to Spain, to Britain, back to you if he's got to do it. Somebody say amen to that. And even as the people of Britain shifted 400 years ago, the people of God, I believe, are shifting today. And that's why prophetically I've been saying to you that we are at the Red Sea. We just, they were just, what, what happened to the children of Israel? They were set free out of Israel. And now they're in the place where they can't advance because of the Red Sea. They had just been, what, through a plague, the last plague of death. What happened after that? They were through a shut-in. They went through a shut-in, and then they were set free. Could it be that we went through our plague called Corona? We all got shut-in as well. Someone say amen. And they're calling for even more shut-ins, but I think people now are beginning to revolt and go, ah, no, this thing ain't right. 99.8% of people survive. Uh, I think I'm going to go ahead and just live my life in freedom rather than the government tell me how I should live my life. A lot of people are getting to that place in their life. That might be the best thing we could possibly do. 15 of us want to be free. Hallelujah. But my point to you is this, is that could it be that God's getting ready to set his people free? How long were the people of God in bondage? 400 years. How long ago was it with the, the Mayflower conflict? 400 years. And all of my African-American people here today that are in this room and those watching me right now by the screen, could it be that after 400 years, God's getting ready to set you all free too and set you up for your greatest miracle? Why do you think the devil wants a civil war? He wants to stop and block the breakthrough. Come on, y'all. But in this house, somebody say in this house, we believe that all ethnicities, all nations will come into this place. This is the mountain of the Lord's house and we're all going to celebrate and have freedom and respect each other and love each other. People that may not know us, in our church, the white man actually happens to be the um, minority in the house, praise God. Mostly black folks and Hispanic people. But here's the deal. We believe that all nations belong to God. And that, that church is the most segregated hour in America. And the devil wants it to be even more segregated. There is no such thing as, I'm preaching real good now, as a black church, a white church, a Hispanic church, an Asian church. We are a multi-ethnic church. We are not a multicultural church. Because we all have one culture, and that's the kingdom of God. Somebody say Amen. So church, when the children of Israel were about to shift from being slaves to a people of destiny, they came up against the giants for the first time. And they, they said what any of us probably would have said in those days. They're too big for us. They went out and spied the land, 12 of them. 10 came back and says, we can't do it. Two came back and said, we're well able. We're equipped. If God be for us, who can be against us? But the other 10 said, they're too big for us. We can't go up against them. They're, they're, the Bible says that they said, they are mightier than, I, than us. In the natural, they may be right. But we are not just natural. We are supernatural. That means we house the plans, the purposes, the identity, and the power of God in us. It's the best combination. When we got saved and born again, his spirit came in us, and now we are the temple of the Holy Ghost. 
and it's the best combination for living successfully on planet Earth when we got the Spirit of God inside us. How many remember the old 70s commercials for Reese's Buttercup? Hey, you got a little peanut butter in my chocolate. Hey, you got a little chocolate in my peanut butter. Now, now they start eating it, right? Ooh, this is better. Peanut butter and chocolate, come on, are better together than they are apart. Well, that's the natural, but in the spiritual, the spirit of God by himself is great. You might be okay by yourself, but when the two come together, the super comes on the natural. And it's just a whole lot better. That's why Ephesians chapter 3.20 says, Now unto him who is able to do. Our God is always able, and he's a doing God. Now unto him who's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, help me all, above all that we ask or think. In other words, God removes all of the limitations. God removes all of the blockades. He does exceedingly, abundantly above your magic thing. And the Bible says, according to the power that works where? In us. I'm talking about the Holy Ghost of God. Why are you complaining? Why are you cast down? Why are you so afraid when you got the Holy Ghost living on the inside of you? You got a little super on your natural and that makes all the difference with the power of God. <laughs> Hebrews 11.1. 1. And this is how we draw out the super in our life. Now faith, everybody say now faith. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for it's the evidence of things not seen. I'm going to say it one more time. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. Church, we have entered an era where we are going to have to truly walk by faith and not by sight. Earthly wisdom in the days ahead is not enough. Those pilgrims came over here and didn't really know what they were going to face. And when they got here, it certainly was what, what they thought they were going to have to do. They didn't know half of them were going to die or perish. But God had another way of doing this. God had a man set up to become a deliverer for them. And God's got a deliverer in you called the Holy Spirit to lead you and to guide you. What you need to do is learn to trust him. No longer are we to trust with our eyes and trust with our natural ears or trust what we see on television. You better turn off that tube and start putting the word of God in your face because they lie to you, they cheat you, they're trying to get they're trying to get you to believe. Let me tell you something about the media. The media is the modern day prophet of Baal prophesying his lies. I don't care if it's Fox or if it's CNN. They want the clicks. They want the money, honey, and they also have an agenda. But we the people, God's about to cause a church. Let me prophesy to you. We the people's about to come on us like never before and we're going to rise up and even the secular people are going to join us. But we've got to be strong in the Lord and the power is might. It's time for us to know that the Holy Ghost is for us. And if he's for us, who can't be against us? Shabbatabosite. How are you supposed to navigate Corona? Man, they put a fear in us. They put a fear in us. You better not go outside. You can get it in. I mean, the boogie, it's the boogeyman. Not saying Corona doesn't exist. But the way that they say it, it's nothing but the boogeyman. 99 point, CDC report, 99.8% people recover and do not die. 40% of people have had it and don't even know it. 
The flu has killed more people than corona. But we suck it in. They take a little truth. And it's dangerous for some people. It is dangerous for the elder. And it is dangerous for certain people with autoimmune diseases. There's no doubt. No, no. There's science back behind that. I'm not saying that. But they put a fear in us. And what is it doing? It's causing our economy to go down. It's causing our confidence to go down. You know, our church was flying and going boom, 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 like this. Every church, not just our, every church. And all of a sudden, people don't show up no more because they're afraid to death of getting the boogeyman. The reason why I say that we're to walk by faith and not by sight is because you have been granted supernatural assistance from heaven. In order to establish God's plan for your life and his will on the earth, no matter the color of your skin, no matter your economic or sociological backgrounds, you have something in you that is called the greater, and it is the Holy Spirit. Here's the deal. As a believer, when you're faced, when we're faced with a situation that's too big for us to solve, whether it's good or whether it's bad, we're going to have to learn to operate by faith. It's a new era for God's people to truly live in the supernatural. Faith is an assurance. Faith is a confidence. So when you've got true faith, something in just inside you says, everything's going to be all right. I walk every day of my life. It's not that I don't wash my hands. It's not that I don't wear my mask in the store. It's not that I don't try to follow the rules, but I refuse to live in fear. Fear is a spirit that has torment. So while you're doing those things, just don't be afraid. Oops, I, oh, I, I scratched my mouth. I was at the grocery store and I forgot to wash my hands. Oh my God, I'm going to die. Right? I live in Psalms. Help me out. 91. I live there every day of my life. No pestilence shall come nigh my dwelling. I can walk on tread up on the lion and the cobra and the angels will assist me and no harm shall come to me. Jesus, I could take up any deadly thing, even drink poison and it shall not harm me. Amen. Faith is an assurance. It's a confidence. And we, look, I, I just want to say it this way. We need preachers to quit laying down and being so weak and speaking what the people want to hear rather than what God wants to say. I'll tell you the truth. If I was going by church growth alone, I'd just say what the people want to hear. We grow, 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 grow. But now we're building a club and we're no longer building the kingdom of God. I want to build what God wants and sometimes what he wants to say isn't what we want to hear. It's not to tickle our ears and we need preachers that will be bold, walk in faith and have an assurance about them and a confidence that says this is what God... And by the way, what's attractive to people, especially in today's world, is when you see somebody who speaks with confidence, who believes actually what they say. Joe Rogan, you may have heard of him. Anybody heard of Joe Rogan before? 
He's an MMA announcer. You've probably seen him or heard his voice many times. That way, he's been on Fear Factor. He does the Fear Factor show years ago. He's been on television, movies, and so on. And right now, he has the number one podcast in the entire world. He did a millions and millions, hundreds of millions of dollars uh, deal with Spotify, the biggest ever. And, uh, and he's just exploding on the scene even more so. And I don't recommend his show. I don't rec- I'm not recommending it. But I have heard him say, and this really, it, it blessed me in some ways. He said, I, I went down the rabbit hole this week and re- listened to preachers. He's not a Christian. Matter of fact, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't disparage you with Christianity. He doesn't believe in it because of what happened to him in the Catholic Church. Let me just tell you something. We, that's the problem. We're not giving people truth anymore. So when people see fake, they go, that's, that's, they think everything with God is fake. But he went down, the, he said, I went down the rabbit hole. He said, he said I got to be honest with you, man. And I knew he was talking about Pentecostals. He said, you know, they may sound a little spooky and a little crazy. Something, oh, it must be Pentecostals. You know how that is. He said, but man. Uh, he said, I got to be honest, I, I'm attracted to the way they speak because they speak with such confidence, like they actually know God. This is his words. He don't even know if he believes in God. He's agnostic. He said, but he said, but he said, but they speak. And I thought, oh my God, that's exactly what happened in Jesus's time when Jesus, he walked in such faith, such confidence, such assurance that when he spoke, they said, we've heard no one speak like him before, for he speaks like one who has authority. It's time for us, the saints, to be rising up and walking in faith and speaking like and talking like and doing like people that have authority. Elijah had this kind of faith, church. When he went to the widowed woman, remember he was sent there by God. He had nothing. He gets there thinking she's going to have something, but she got nothing. And he says, what would you have me do? She said, my sons are being taken away in debtor's prison, and, 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 and we have nothing more. To, we can't give them anything to get them out. And I have nothing. He said, what do you have? I've got nothing. She goes, but I do have a little jar of oil. Watch the confidence and the assurance of Elijah. He gets them. That's how the prophetic works. He knows God has sent him there. He doesn't necessarily know what he's going to tell her when he gets there. Confidence and faith just says, I'm going to take the walk. I'm going to do what God says to do. The rest will just have to be there when I get there. He says, take the oil that you have and go and knock on your neighbor's doors and ask them to borrow vessels to you. And don't just borrow a few. Get as many as you get your hands on. He said, and then begin to pour the oil in the vessels. And when they are all full, go and sell the vessels and pay your debt off. And she did it as he said. Her sons helped her out. She went into the oil business with what? Nothing but a little oil in a small jar that she had. And the Bible says every vessel filled up and did not stop until the vessels were gone. Didn't have more vessels. And she sold everything. And not only did she get out of debt, but she lived and retired on the money she received for the rest of the oil. This man had guts to speak and declare the word of the Lord in an impossible situation. You might, let me just tell you something. Some of you are in an impossible situation right now. It's going to require you to stand up and prophesy, thus says the Lord. I'm not going to die of this disease. Thus says the Lord. I'm going to have more than enough at the end of this month. And then truly believe that your God is able and capable of making that come to pass. Church, our source has got to get back on God and God alone. 
because we watched economy goes up and down. It's up and it's down. But God's economy in heaven is perfectly level all the time and it never runs dry. Our source has to be God. Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches and we bear fruit because we want, we are connected to the vine. We are connected to the source. If you continue to stay connected to the source, you'll never ever be without fruit. Everybody say this after me. Say, God is my source. Say it again. God is my source. God is the source of your provision. God is the source of your deliverance. God is the source of your healing. God is the source of your home. God is the source of that new job. God is the source of that marriage. God is the source of your new husband and God is the source of your new wife. Everybody say, God is my source. And when we operate by faith and simply act on God's word, you activate resources that are not from you but that are for you. Philippians 4.19, and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. God will supply what you need. And the word supply means to fill to the full, all the way to the top, that which has been lacking. Just like that woman who had a little oil in a bottle of the jar, and then God says, I'm going to fill it up. I will what? Supply. What? Your need. Need means your business endeavors. Need means your distribution of funds. Need in the Greek means necessity of duties. In every aspect of your life, God said, wherever you've been lacking, I will fill it up until it overflows according to my riches, not your bank account, not your talents, not your abilities, but according to the riches of God in Christ Jesus. And the word riches means abundant overflow. You think what you need is some mystery to God? Like he didn't know you needed it? He knew what you need before you even asked. I remember years ago, we, had, we were low in our income and so we were down a payment. Now payment in our church in those days was for our mortgage was $28,000 a month. You all have a hard time with your $1,000 a month. $28,000 a month. How many knows every month we had to walk by faith and not by sight? Just look around the room. Amen. We ain't got no wealthy people like that. But God met us. And so we came in, it was a time like 2008, 2009. And so it was a tough situation for us. And so uh, we were behind a month. That happens sometimes. And so um, the banker called us. We'd had communication with him already, but he called us. And, um, and he said, hey, I'm in town and meet with some churches and stuff. He said, he said um, could you meet with me? I thought, oh, Lord, here we go. You know. So I said, absolutely, we meet with him. This is like, uh, this is like on Wednesday. And so I had my, at the time was my administrator, was Terry Morehouse. And so we met here in my office and, and um, showed him a nice man. We sat down. Of course, I knew we were going to get to the money part of it. And I looked, he looked around the building. He had never been here before and looked around and said, wow, this is incredible. We showed him what we do. And he was impressed and all that. He said, you know, I'm just talking to you about this. Now, I knew it was coming. You know, I don't know about you, but that, that's embarrassing. You know, it's embarrassing. I don't want to be behind. Nobody wants to be behind. And I didn't want to have an uncomfortable conversation. We knew we were trying to do what we could do, but it was just, it was what it was. We just were short that money. And so, um, and so, so he, we started to talk, and I, I knew the conversation was coming. He goes, hey, you know, about this, this month, you know, thing, you're behind everything. He said, what are we going to do? How are we going to get that? To, how are we going to rectify this now? And guys, you know, 
there's moments when you just know God moves your mouth and you don't even really have much control of it. It's like something comes up out of you and your mouth begins to move while your brain's going, huh, what are you, what's going on, what's happening here? Has ever, have anybody ever done that before? It's like my mind's going, what are you saying? But I, something, something in me, it was, I believe, a gift of faith. In that moment, I, I literally stood up and I said, sir, whatever his name was, I said, you'll have that money by Monday. It was Wednesday. We had that in the account, praise God, for mortgages. We didn't have that, right? And uh, for the extra. And I knew it. I remember the moment because I remember Terry Morehouse looking at me. He's like, huh? He's looking at me like that. And he said, oh. I said, yeah, we'll have it for you on Monday. Don't worry about that. We'll have it on Monday. He goes, well, that made my job easy. Well, man, this is great. And he, he left and, and he's thinking, no problem, right? Now, you know, when you say something in faith, it sounds really good when you said it. But after I got done, and, and, and Terry looked at me, and he just looked, after he's looking at me, and I go, I know what you're thinking. Where's it going to come from? He goes, yeah, it kind of was. I wonder if that was going to happen. Uh, he said, but pastor, I've learned. Watching you over the years, he said, when you say stuff like that, I felt the anointing of God on it. He said, God's just going to do a miracle. I said, he's going to do a miracle. I said, I don't know how to tell you this. I don't know how, but God will do a miracle. We had two checks come in. That was, one was a little over half, and the rest was, it was like perfect, whatever amount. It was $28,000 came in by Monday morning, and we were able to pay that thing off. Right, look, look, either I was going to be a liar, and that's what I said to God. Either I was a liar, or this is going to come to pass. You've got to put, when God says something, listen to me. Don't you back down ever from it. I don't care what it looks like. Doesn't matter what it looks like. This God will make a way where there is no way. This is what he does. Why? So you won't get the credit for it. So you can tell the world like I'm telling the world right now that our God is able to do miracles when you walk with a degree of confidence and assurance and you just know that somehow God will make it happen. Somebody say amen. Hebrews 11.3, by faith we understand the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things were, which are seen were not made of things which are visible. What does that teach me? That teach me faith in God's word, whether it's prophetic or it's his word speaking to us. It, will just, it produces things that you can't see. Faith makes stuff that you can't see. Every sustainable resource that you need was created from something unseen chair you're sitting on right now it came out of the ground it didn't drop out of the sky did it every single thing you see came beneath the surface that you couldn't see that's the natural in the spirit God has already produced everything you need before you ask God already knew and has provided for you that's why Abraham called him Jehovah Jireh when he saw the ram caught by its horns in the thicket, he said, you're Jehovah Jireh. You gave me a sacrifice I couldn't see, but now my eyes are open and I see it's right there. It was there the whole time, y'all. He needed eyes to see it. Faith, faith, faith to believe that it's possible. Quit trying to figure out how it's going to happen. If you're looking for the how, you'll miss the wow. And God wants to give you such a supernatural breakthrough that you go, oh my God, look what he's done for me. Faith creates things that are not to be as though they are. 
In other words, you are not restricted to earth's resources or man's limited abilities. Let me announce this to you this morning. Your so-called limitation will become the platform by which God promotes you and brings glory to himself. The limits that tried to hold Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were the only things that actually got destroyed in the fire. They were bound up, and the only thing that got destroyed were the things that were limiting them. But out of that fire, the Bible says, there was a fourth man in the fire, and they saw God working in their life, and God promoted them. Whatever you're going through will become the platform for the next level in this move of God, this next move of God. And I declare over you that your limits will become your leverage in the future. In the next move of God, you will see it come to pass. You are about ready to shift into a whole new arena, a whole new level of destiny that you've only dreamed about. It may not be exactly the way you dreamed it, but I will tell you this, it's going to be a whole lot better. Everybody shout, yes. When Israel needed to shift into their destiny, God required a faith shout uh, for Jericho's walls to come down. I like what my wife did a moment ago. Let's just, on the count of three, give a shout because I believe something's going to break in your life. It's by faith. This is the moment we're going to do. Y'all ready? By faith. One, two, three, shout. Come on. Is there faith in your shout? Can you see those walls coming down? Can you see your enemies being defeated? Glory to God. Hallelujah. We see you and I are connected to the invisible. And the unlimited supply that we have is in another world. And the world can't see it. But I'm telling you, and I'll close here. When Elijah was being surrounded about the, the Syrian army, and they were going to take him captive, and the only person to help him out of it was his servant, who, by the way, was in fear because he woke up and saw the, the Syrian army all around, and there was no way out. What Gehazi, the servant, did not see or understand or know what Elijah knew was that Elijah had assets in another world that coexisted or there was a parallel quantum physics, a parallel universe called the spirit realm that he was in and out of constantly. And he knew that there was, a, there was an army of angels, the angel hosts that had surrounded them facing their enemies and protecting them. Lord, open his eyes that he may see what I see. And his eyes were open. He saw a heavenly host or he saw, watch this, supernatural assets that were there the whole time. He didn't need to fear one second. Isn't that like us? God, I pray, open our eyes that we may see because we are spending so much time in fear and worry and concern unnecessarily. That we have assets from the Almighty. Jesus understood that there was a whole different world called his kingdom that he wanted his people to operate in. His first message was to repent the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is at hand. That's why he told the disciples, 
They say that four more months, then comes the harvest. He said, but lift up your eyes. See the assets that you have. It looks like the seed just got sowed. He said, but I tell you, the harvest is already white and ready and prepared for the harvest. We get concerned about things that we need to put our trust in God in. This weekend with our family, and I was giving thanks to the Lord. You know, I, I live in Thanksgiving all the time. I try to. But I begin to thank him for my family and thank him for the church and thank him for using me all these years and being so faithful. That's not hard for me to do. Oh, you must have had a perfect life. Are you kidding me? I've had some things you don't know anything about. And guess what? You've had the same thing. But what I have done is I made up my mind that what he says is true. His promises are always yes and amen to his people. And if there's anything going awry in my life, I recognize that will become my platform. That will become my testimony. 